0: that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Good morning, and uh, again, Happy Mother's Day. This past week, I'm thinking of Mother's Day, our friend Peter Takas, who's not here today, but James mentioned him in prayer. He, his mother died uh, over a week ago. And, uh, you know, it was a privilege for me. Just Barbara and I were at the little graveside service. That was the most simple service you could ever imagine. Imagine a graveside service. Now make it more simple than what you're imagining. And that's what you had. But there's times when you're reminded that we live in a really um, uh, messed up. Certain words you can't use it from the pulpit, but we live in a messed up culture where we think significant things are just big, right? Um, they, they have to kind of announce themselves. We have, there's this, um, some of it's celebrity culture, whatever it is. We think for something to be significant, it has to be noticed by the world. This can seep into our church experience, by the way, as well. Uh, part of that's because of the consumer culture that we live in. But there are times when you're reminded on an individual level uh, in this faith that God has visited you in some way that might take place in something so small but it's astounding to you. And that was Thursday afternoon for me by Magda Takas' graveside. And uh, I talked to Peter earlier in the week. Last week, you remember when you were here last week, those who were, we mentioned that we couldn't get a hold of Peter and we were quite concerned because we knew that Magda had died but we didn't know if Peter was okay. And so on, on Tuesday I called him. I'd been calling him but on Tuesday from my office I called him and I said, you know, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, like, dear God, let Peter answer this phone. And the next thing I hear, hello, you know, Peter's voice. And I said, oh, Peter. And he just sounded so good right away. I said, are you okay, Peter? We heard what happened. He said, oh, Todd. I'll tell you the fullness of the words sometime because I wrote them down there in my office, but I didn't know I'd be doing this until I got up here because they were some of the most beautiful words I'd ever heard somebody say after losing a loved one. You know, you say things like, well, they're in a better place or they're not suffering. And those things are true and they're nice. and they're, But Peter had a better way to say it. He said, oh, Todd. She now knows the fullness of the love of Christ. And I'm grateful. So I said, well, what are you doing? Are you doing any service or anything? You guys always want to know if there's a service and you'd show up. you." And I kind of knew with this family that like, we're not announcing a service at church. That's not going to happen. Um, and he said, yeah, we're going to do something. When he said we, he meant him. Um he has a brother, Charlie, but Charlie's not that well in terms of his mental health. And, and so with Peter, it was just going to be Peter. And I said, well, Peter, would you mind if I came to that? And he said, oh, that would be nice. And so I found out when it was, but it there's nothing scheduled. It was really just, uh, um, I'm going to meet the funeral director at this time, and then we're going to put my mom's casket into the grave and so we thought it'd be about twelve thirty on Thursday. So, and then I asked if Barbara Smith could come as well because she's been very close with the family, including Magda. And he said I would like that. And so Barbara and I got there about twelve thirty Thursday. Do you remember? It's hard to remember the days. It was pouring rain Thursday. Like, surprised. Um, but uh, we got there at the cemetery in West Vancouver, near West Van Baptist, and nobody was around. And then we found out that they weren't going to get there till one. And anyway. They show up and there's a few people from the funeral home and Peter. That's it. And the people from the home are there because somebody needs to be pallbearers to carry this casket to put it over the grave. And so Peter's in the front seat of the of the car with the casket in the back, and he come driving in through this pouring rain. And I look, and there he is, and he's got this big grin on his face and Canucks hat and jeans, and a, it's the least formal funeral service ever. And then they proceed to kind of uh, like try to carry this casket out. There and we offered to help, but they said they were okay, and they put it down. And then the funeral director did what you would do in these kinds of circumstances. He read something he pulled out of the file. You know, do not think that I have left to, you know, and I will always be with you. And you're like really nice sentimental things that not too much, not anything about Jesus, which I would understand. He doesn't know who really who he's dealing with probably. And then he said, Peter, do you have anything to say? And I knew Peter wanted to say something. And Peter said, yeah, I do. He's still smiling. And then he said, looking right at his mom's casket, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But he said it with such love. And then we recited the 23rd Psalm together. And then they lowered the casket into the grave and it was over. And it took about as long as I took to describe it right now. And I drove away. And I thought, that was one of the smallest things I've ever been to. But Heavenly Father, you were present. You owe yourself this in this life and world. Because nobody's going to find those places for you. And certainly our consumer culture and even often our church culture is not going to direct you to them. But be alert. Be attentive for God's blessing and presence. And be grateful. And it's not just Peter. It's many of you here as well. All of you. But be really grateful that you're in a church where you get to be with somebody like Peter Takis. Because he's a testimony to God's presence. So I have a sermon, too. You ready for that? Um, And I won't even tell you all the story about Ross and and being with him and visiting Phoebe Jean in the hospital and waving goodbye to Ross and Carol as they were helping Phoebe Jean and then... a few hours later, getting a text, oh, by the way, Ross has had a stroke, and then needing to keep the news kind of quiet to protect a family member for a while. And so for some of you, are like, how come I didn't know? Um, there's little family things that some some things were scheduled that Ross and Carol didn't want kids to, to uh, cancel out of concern. But everything is okay and going to be okay. Well, we turn to one of the most important passages of Scripture. Did I forget my little clicker? Oh, it's right there. What do you want to do? Watch this. The introduction to the book of John, known as the prologue to to John's gospel. And last week we looked at the first five verses, and these were our key teaching points for last week, that this gospel is good news, light for all, and that our witness in this world is to be good news. And often the Christian church is not marked, well sometimes the Christian church is not marked by this. Uh, The world often doesn't look at the Christian church and think, they're good news for us. It can be something other than that. But in this prologue, the light is for all people. Verses 3 to 5, you can see that in particular. We talked about how this prologue speaks of revelation, that God is revealing the biggest, best, and most important things, but he's doing so through human inspiration, through John the Evangelist, who writes this book, and through John the Baptist, who is introduced as the first character in this narrative human inspiration and you saw that's why i had a picture of of that mountain there was that john the john the evangelist and john the baptist both but thinking of john who writes the gospel is inspired in such a way that it's like looking at this mountain and saying you know where does my help come from i lift my eyes up to the mountains where does my help come from not from these mountains but from the one above and so there is revelation to inspiration to speak this good news and finally, and we didn't emphasize these words, but that this gospel places us under demand. I'm a little reticent in my faith to use the word, in teaching, to use the word demand because sometimes that can push. Uh, it's not that I want to, you know, appeal to everybody in some consumer way, but it can it can make it so that people don't understand. And people have often been coerced into faith or coerced into certain type of behaviors religiously. But I want to keep that word demand here because this gospel presents to us a demand For faith, are we going to trust in this Jesus Christ or not? Are we going to see or not? We also noted last week that there's a correction to some bad theology right from this uh, early part of this prologue, and that is the, the bad theology of what's called historically in philosophy and religion, Manichaeism, which means like there's two battling divinities, light and dark, good and evil, God and the devil, however you want to think of it, and that these two kind of battle it out. And this, this prologue, in the beginning was the word. In other words, Jesus Christ himself is preexistent, but evil and the devil is not. And so it helps you to understand as you pray, even about your own life and about circumstances in this world or in your family, that there is not some equal battle between God and the devil. So this prologue does a lot of things. And we looked at the first five verses. Today we add only verses 6, 7, and 8. And one key word, we add the word witness. This is, for you, the most important word for today. In some ways, it's, well, in many ways, it's the most important word in your faith as you live out your faith in this world. You should be reminded, and I hope you are this morning, and as you leave from this place, reminded who you are in Jesus Christ to live your life as a witness in this world. Again, going right back to my little Peter Takis story and consumer culture and all the rest, You often come to church. James and I were at a conference yesterday where they were talking about this. Often in church, church suffers from the same thing that much of culture does, where you look at, can I find a church that meets my needs? Right? You can even think about the spiritual benefits. This church helps me to grow, or something like that. But it should never be the first question in your involvement in a church or in your individual faith. The first question is, does this place remind me of who I am so that I'm living out my faithful witness in this world, my witness to Jesus Christ? The benefits are secondary. They're present, but they're secondary. But it's not usually the way we think. Verse 6 goes from this cosmic big picture. In the beginning was the word which is what the Bible is going to tell you about the origins of the universe. And those who want to map it out one day, two days, these many years, this many things, that's a nice exercise. The Bible doesn't engage in it. Sorry. The Bible issues this statement above all, even greater than the Genesis text. The Bible says, John, the inspired writer of this gospel, John the evangelist says, in the beginning was the word before all things science asks how can something come from nothing the bible isn't going to address directly this question but the bible is going to assert in the beginning was the word now that's a faith statement you can't argue that with somebody can you but i'll put before you right now in the holy spirit do you believe that oh i believe that i would say this i know that And somebody would say, well, prove it to me. And I would say, well, we're having a different conversation. In the beginning was the Word. So we're up cosmically, you know, before time, above time, before all creation and all history. And then verse 6 plunges us down into history. One of the benefits of the time we live in, and this is, you know, like most things, it's a blessing and a curse, but it's certainly a blessing in some ways that we know how to watch and listen to stories even visually, narratively. So, you know, you could tell sometimes, and depending on the age of the person you're with when you're watching something, uh, certain things are more difficult for people if they haven't been trained in how stories are told like today. So one of the ways you'll pick this up in your families is if you're watching with somebody who's older in your family and you're watching a show where the timeline is all messed up, I mean, it's hard enough for some people to get that who are younger, but you'll see often people who are older struggle with that even more. So one scene is taking place in the present, but the next scene is like 30 years before, and the next scene might be an imagination of the future. Right? You learn these skills as you're watching things, and one of the skills that we have is this shift from the cosmic to the earthly. So let me give you a nice friendly example of what that looks like with low tech, although at the time it was incredibly high tech. It's a wonderful life. Right? Those of you who know and like that movie, remember the kind of pulsating stars at the beginning? And I think they show up a few times. It's God talking to the angel, I suppose, to Clarence. Is that his name? Clarence. And what's happening? See, what are they trying to convey there? Something is going on universally, way above anything you could ever imagine, and this poor George Bailey has no clue about any of it. So you're up here cosmically, And then the story starts down and you get this wonderful. You want me to lasso the moon for you, Mary? Like that kind of thing. But really what's happening is something much, much bigger. John uses this same narrative technique years before any of this tech. Listen. In him was life, this word. And life was the light, not life was the light of men. Humanity. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's verse 5. That's these cosmic... Words, verse 6. There was a man sent from God. See that shift? We go from way above time, above all history, to this little ordinary man that we're going to call John the Baptist. We're plunged into history with, to meet this particular person in this particular time. This man who, and please hear these words, this man who is illumined from the outside. Now, because we're self-centered, it's not always a good thing that we can do this. Being self-centered is not good. But one of the things that can help in our understanding of faith is that we substitute ourselves in for John. We ask before God, the Father of all creation, before Jesus Christ who is before all time, would you make that shift for me? Do I matter? There was a woman, and then your name. There was a man, and then your name. Somehow in faith, we all believe this. John is sent, John the Baptist is sent to be a witness and to point to Jesus Christ. And the key words here, there was a man, that's the shift to the earthly. But what comes next, sent by God. But he's just a man, and you're just a person. But John is going to point to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest task of his life, and it's the greatest task of yours. But he didn't see what was happening in the cosmos. He just lived his life like you do. Well, not that much like you do. He was a bit strange. Even more strange, I suppose, than you are. It's something that I want you to know, though, that as he was sent, so are you. This structure of verses 1 to 5 being this cosmic introduction, and then verses 6, 7, and 8 touching down on the earth momentarily, and then verses 9 to 17 bring us back up to the cosmos again. And then actually the Gospel of John really starts, the narrative structure of it, the story, starts in verse 18. So the prologue is verses 1 through 17. Verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. And again, we would pray this for our lives, that we would bear witness to the light, that all might believe through us. Holy Spirit, it's always, it's my favorite theologian who I'll refer to in a few minutes because this was one of his favorite paintings. Uh, And that's John the Baptist there in that scene, but time is condensed, right? But uh, my favorite theologian used to say that the foundational Christian prayer, and in a sense this is a conversion prayer, this is coming to faith, is simply, come Holy Spirit. And if you're seeking to be a witness in this world to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's your prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Help me to bear witness to this most important revelation. When I say witness, you would say, I know what witness is, but I think, you know, I I think we're an exciting time in the church because where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago, the word witness was starting to take on some really negative connotations. And some of us, you know, who grew up at that time and were younger through that time frame, some of you who are older maybe didn't feel those negative connotations as much, but some of the people my age and younger or maybe a little bit older felt Oh, that, that word sounds a bit like a club. Like, are you are you witnessing? It was this religious task that at times not properly understood, so I'm not blaming anyone in particular, but at times became something that seemed to be against the world rather than for the world. And so many of us, myself included, kind of pushed away from that word. And even friends of mine would, would joke about it. Good witness, Todd, you know. And we were picking up this negative connotation that you're you're always supposed to be better than the world and somehow nicely condemning them. But I think we live in an exciting time because we're not in that time anymore. There were great things about that time, but we're in a time now where we can recover the word witness and it's maybe lost some of those connotations. And you say, I know what the word witness means. It means to testify. It does, but I want you to hang on for a minute and consider... this in a little more depth. There's a dynamic when you witness to anything. The dynamic is, try to grasp this in, in your thoughts, try to picture it however you think of a concept. The dynamic when you're a witness is that you're close to that which you're testifying about, but you're also distant. How could that be? Well, that's the way that witnessing happens. You're close to it, you're speaking about it, you're testifying, But you're not that thing that you're speaking about. You're simply a witness. Does anybody, you know, so you drive around here and you see, you know, taped onto a, a light pole or something. I need a witness for somebody. There was an accident at this corner, right? Not somebody who was involved in the accident, clearly. But somebody who was close to it, but yet still distant. And you see this with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to point at Jesus Christ. That's this painting. But John the Baptist himself will go to great pains to say, I'm not the one. In other words, witnessing when done properly does not overwhelm the subject. And you can see this in our Christian history as well, that sometimes our work, sometimes done exuberantly, almost overwhelms the message of Jesus Christ himself. We take charge of the thing. What are some... Easier examples of this. Have you ever had anyone speak for you when you don't want them to? Right? Parents can do this to their children. I try to be... Actually, I don't try. I think it just it's something that just happens in the way I think, but try not to give, like, gender-specific examples all the time. Do you, you ever go to sermons and you go, you know, women can be so like this, and I just think, oh, it's terrible. But that's me. To You know, these, these generalizations. But I have one of those in my mind right now. So I'm sure it can happen the other way. So husbands who experience this the other way, fine. It does happen this way. But dramatically, when you see it on television shows or movies or whatever, you see a couple sitting down for dinner and the man says, yes, the lady will have the grilled chicken and, and the chardonnay. And she's sitting there like, am I a person? Right? Now let's not gender, spe- let's not make it gender specific because I know couples where that, those roles are just flipped. Right? That's somebody not being a witness. That's somebody overwhelming the subject. And John the Baptist is not going to do that with Jesus Christ. He's going to point to Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ himself is going to be the one who not only receives the glory, but becomes the subject. John will fade into the background. This painting is a painting of a larger, it's a piece of a larger uh, altarpiece in a church. And my theological inspiration over the last number of years, Karl Barth loved this painting. He had this in his office. And he would always, he'd talk about looking at this and meditating upon it and praying from it every time that he would write or every time that he would preach, and he preached a lot. And he said that what struck him the most was the finger. I'm not going to zoom in on it, but can you see it? Kind of, There's like a bony little finger of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus on the cross. Time is condensed, you see. You get the early part of John and the later part of John all together. But John is simply pointing to Jesus Christ. And Bart would say, that which gives me energy is that finger pointing to my Lord and Savior. And I ask that I would remember that that's my job. So my question to you today is simply, would you do this? Do you know who you are? Firstly, would you allow yourself to see? Would you say this as a prayer? You can take this up right now. It's a little spiritual practice right in the middle of a sermon. Would you pray, Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Would you, through John the Evangelist, John the Baptist, And whatever means you choose, would you allow me to see your glory? Through these witnesses. And I'll say this. I'm going to add to your prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for letting me see the reality of my Lord Jesus Christ through the witness of my friend Peter this week. So the first is that you would see the second is a prayer that you would remember who you are, that you are witness yourself. You want to think of the benefits of faith. And we have socialized you in the last 20, 30 years in churches to think of the benefits of faith. What kind of Christian community can I be a part of that seems to really speak to me and address me? and get right? It's, it's underneath of so many things. It makes me feel the best. I understand wanting to think about the benefits. I can do the same thing. But they're always secondary. Here's the blessing. Today, today from this place, if you could realize, if you could remember that each time you leave this place, it's why we gather. It's the main reason we gather to be reminded of who we are to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. So that today when you leave this place, you can do this in this place as well, that you realize that that is your call as well to be a witness to the love of Jesus Christ and his salvation in this world. that you like John point towards Jesus. And here's the great thing about that because at times in, in, in this world we can think, well what, why don't more people why aren't more people interested in Jesus? What's wrong with this world? It used to be better or something like that. It used to be better almost gets you nowhere ever even though you might be right. Actually, if, especially if you're right, that things used to be better, it doesn't matter. Here's the good news. If you recover your identity as a witness to the love and gospel of Jesus Christ, it is never too late. It's never too late. This is the spiritual practice to take up. This is our hope. Verse 8 Our final verse for this morning's consideration. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Those who know their Bibles know that there is shortly to follow an acting out of this in John the Baptist's life. When John says, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he sees Jesus. And he says, I'm not the light. In Mark 1.7, Matthew 3.11, and Luke 3.16, there are forms of this saying. When John says, and because the Bible is an oral thing, not, not a written thing, it's written for us now, but there's all these little differences, right, in the tellings, so that gospel writers will tell it differently. John says slightly different words, but they're all the same point and energy. He says, there's one coming after me, and I'm not worthy. To what? To tie up his sandals or to untie his sandals. One gospel says to carry his sandals. Right? You see the distinction that John is making? He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. And he'll say, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Isn't that beautiful? By the way, I'll throw in my little uh, little side notes on here. You want to know the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I can tell you. It's love. Anything else might be good and present and God might bless you with certain supernatural things or whatever, but those are not primarily the evidence of the feeling of the Holy Spirit. It is always love. And later in John's life, the story becomes even more poignant to us because we can identify with this feeling some of you won't admit that you can and some of you maybe maybe you can't I don't know I I can where John's uncertainty about Jesus is so strong that he who had witnessed to Jesus Christ the living word says are we sure that this is the one isn't that touching John's experienced some terrible difficulty in his life by this point, even imprisonment. And he says about Jesus Christ, are you the one that we were waiting for? John the Baptist is a mountain peak who draws our attention like the Himalayas did for us in Nepal. Augustine says John the Baptist came into a time of people with weak spirits Sick hearts and enfeebled eyes. I don't know how you'd want to characterize our culture today, but you could draw some parallels. And he came in and he was lit up like a mountain. And some people saw. But he was just a mountain. Just a lit up mountain. Because the revelation was Jesus Christ himself. John is lit up to point to the one true light and my longing for each of you. And when I make that cosmic shift, this was this is the pastoral part of, of my mind and heart, I suppose. When I was working on this this week and made that shift from the cosmic to the earthly, I thought of each of you. I asked my God to remind me, to put your names there. Didn't wasn't like this exercise I did, it just happened in prayer. Would... And now, I mean, I can't say your name's right, but would this person, would they know that they are sent by God to witness to the light? I don't know what else you want to do in the world. You can tell me your great plans and successes and failures, and I'll be with you because I love you. And But if you want to do this, oh, then we're on to something. And I'm telling you, you don't need anything else than what you have right now To do this, you're no weirder than John the Baptist was. Lit up, you, lit up to point to the one true light. There's no reason for despair in this world, in these things. God has not turned his back on this world in Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk around thinking of the terrible state of the world because that's not where you get your life and energy from. You get it from the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I started with a really holy and spiritual person. Excuse me, in Peter Takis. I'll end with another who's much more famous than Peter. But uh, he's chosen a small way as well. This is Jean Vanier. Many of you know who Jean Vanier is. He's won a number of humanitarian awards over the years. He's a writer and speaker, and but really what he's done is commit his life to living with disabled adults. His, his father was governor general of Canada years ago. And Jean Vanier now, I guess he's in his 80s, lives in France and runs communities for disabled people and just lives with them. He was inspired to do this years ago in France when he visited... Um, like a care center for those with special needs. They would have used words, I guess, like handicap or something back then. And he, he, his heart broke at the conditions. And then he met two people, and he decided to open a home and live with these two people. It's now become what's known as LARSH and it's all over the world. There's larsh communities here in Vancouver. John Vanier was one of the speakers at this conference that I was at recently. And I'm still in awe of some of the things that he said. Uh, one of the things that he said is, he said, to eat with people is to become a friend. He talks about how these, these disabled people, they're not impressed by power and status. They don't care. And so he said, I I think there's something of Jesus Christ in that. Like, none of these people care about power and status. And so those who do care about power and status tend not to be drawn into these places. Because nobody's impressed by them. Unless they're able to do one thing. Love. Be present. To eat with people, so he says it in that light, is to become a friend. And then he quoted Aristotle... See, this is a good thing for you to take with you. To become a friend, you must eat a bag of salt together. To become friends, you must eat a bag of salt together. You know what that means? How long does it take to eat a bag of salt? A whole bunch of meals. So, Vanier said, I I find Jesus Christ, particularly with the powerless and the disabled who don't want power and status themselves and are not impressed by power and status. He says, I see Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God revealed in these people, and that's why I want to serve them. And more than serving them like from above, I just want to live with them, share my life with them. And he was asked well, he, he talked about being asked, they may have been quoting somebody else, but Vanier was asked, What is it that signifies the maturity of a human being? I don't have the answer on the screen, do I? No, I don't. What is it that signifies the maturity of a human being? And Vanier answered, and it was so beautiful tenderness you'd be tender when you know the reality of Jesus Christ so I've included in your so what sheet you should by the way take those and use them in your response to service and um, note on this book this is a book by Jean Vanier on the gospel of John we're only going to get through chapter 1 in the next few weeks. He goes through the whole chapter, the whole book, and it's a devotional commentary. It's not like, here's what this Greek word means, and here's what that means. Um, you will be blessed if you read this book. I can get it for you, but I know you know how to get things. You're all good at getting things. That's never the question. It's just, what do you want? You should want this. So get it. It's called Drawn into the Mystery of Jesus through the Gospel of John by Jean Vanier. So to end, this is what Vanier says about the prologue, these 17 verses. We've looked at the first eight. He had mentioned that John the Baptist points to Jesus Christ. He's okay with John being a witness, but his point here is going to be that the one true witness is Jesus Christ himself, witness to God's character. So Vanier says, let us pause a moment here He's about where we are, verse 7, 8. Let us pause a moment here. Jesus reveals himself in the prologue as the unique son of the father. He alone can witness to who God is. Because he knows God intimately. Has seen God. Is with God. And is in God. He alone shows us the road to oneness with God. Through the Son, we are drawn into God and become children of God. We receive the very life of God within us. And I say, Amen. And I implore you, come to Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our eyes to the living word. Two things, you say, what's the response? What's action from this sermon? Two things, come to Jesus Christ if you've never let go of your will to this, to say yes, come to Jesus Christ. And secondly, and this would be for most of you here, pray that you would be a witness. This is the need of the world when I look out at you, I'm really excited because if each of you determined to be a witness, the light of God will shine forth from this place. It just will. And I know that it does. And I'm grateful. A speaker yesterday at the conference said when he was speaking about some of these similar things, he said somehow it would be that the people of our churches each week would leave knowing that there's a flame over their head. It doesn't mean that they're about to be consumed well maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit but they are blessed and chosen as God's witnesses in this world you're to leave here with a flame over your head knowing this great task you have you'll never do anything better let's pray come Holy Spirit Call the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts and our minds. No eloquence or rhetoric or convincing could could reveal who Jesus Christ is. It's all by the power, Holy Spirit of your presence. Help us to see. I want to take this church here. I would say my church, like I'm part of this. Not over, but pastorally pastorally as well. Lord, take this church, my church, and put in us a desire, Holy Spirit, to know who Jesus Christ is in this world. To follow the witness of others. And then give us this second gift. This greatest of all tasks in this world for every person here. And really, we do it together. To witness Lord Jesus Christ to your love, power, salvation, redemption, reconciliation, hope, light in this world where there is so much hopelessness. Come Holy Spirit, enliven us and guide us and call us to this work for your glory, Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.